Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here. Yeah, thank you for being here. And it's beginning to look like Christmas around here. And uh, it's a beautiful place that uh, we have. And man, it's been an awesome, awesome Christmas season so far. Yesterday we had, um, last night we had a Christmas dinner. Um, and there was 120 something ladies in here and we had tables all in this room and uh, it was a fantastic night last night. And if you miss it, that's always next year. And so, and, uh, so ho- hopefully you don't miss out again. And, uh, but man, we're so glad uh, you're here. Some of you just might be your first time with us and we're honored that you came to worship with us and uh, you're here and in your program as you came in, inside that program it's a little connection card and uh, we hope you take a minute and uh, just fill that out at the end of our service, uh, the offering, during that offering, we just ask that you drop that card in the basket. And thank you for being here. Um, last night we had uh, uh, our special guest, Stephanie Payne. Stephanie, uh, Stephanie, why don't you stand? Go ahead and stand. Yeah, you stand. There she is. Give it up for Stephanie. Uh, she, uh, from Pensacola, Florida, came up here to speak last night for the woman's and did a fantastic message for the ladies. And, um, and her husband was supposed to be here this morning, but he called me on Friday. And on Friday, as many of you might know, on Friday there was a, uh, a, a mass shooting that happened on the Pensacola Naval Air Station base. And um, so many lives have been affected by this. It's been a big deal on national news. And that happened Friday morning. So about Friday, around 11 o'clock, Pastor Tim called me up and said, listen, I need to stay here in Pensacola and minister to the hearts of people. And you know, this is a tragedy that's happened in our backyard. And, uh, and I appreciate that for Tim. And I know that was a hard call for him. And uh, so uh, he's not here today. And, uh, and so um, I didn't have to whip this message at the last minute. I was already working on this message for the following Sunday, but I said, okay, uh, God wants me to preach this message today. And, um, but before we do that, I, I do want to pray for uh, Pastor Tim um, and other pastors that I know in Pensacola. And I, in fact, we've got some people here from Pensacola, right here, wave your hand, there you guys, you know, got some here visiting. And you know, so you're definitely not the, yeah. So you, Stephanie, you're not the only one here from Pensacola. So uh, we've got, you know, so, but let's pray. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray for Pastor Tim and Pensacola and all involved. God, we love you and we ask for your grace and mercy in, uh, in the situation and the tragedy that happened on Friday. There's a lot of questions about why, why evil happens. But God, I pray that your grace will shine brighter in the darkness. And I pray that pastors and other pastors like Tim and, and, uh, and, and other pastors that we know, God, I pray that they will minister to the people, uh, bring comfort and bring the message of hope to the, uh, to the people in Pensacola. So many lives have been touched and affected by this. So we just ask you to give uh, them, the pastors, we give them the courage and the, and the, and the words to say. And uh, we pray for your presence to be felt in that community. 
in your name I pray, amen. Well, if this is, um, we are kicking off this brand new theory called A Savior is Born. And I imagine, I imagine if we were all to compare notes in terms of a Christmas experience as adults, um, they would be very, very different, I believe. However, I imagine that if we were to compare notes of our Christmas experience as children, that we would find a lot in common with each other. For example, the agonizing wait for Christmas morning to happen. Right? It seemed like it take forever for, for Santa Claus, for Christmas morning for happen. You know, and the, and the day seems long, and especially the last few days before Christmas, it seems like it's so long that Christmas will never happen. However, before you know it, Christmas happened, right? It happened. But now, for us as adults, years later, someone said, hey, Christmas will be here in a couple of weeks. We panic, right? We panic. We, we, we say, man, no, I'm not ready for Christmas. You know, it's going too fast. And the kids, you know, the kids are oh, it's going too slow. You know, and the kids are going, they're excited, they're happy. And we're just kind of like, we're not ready for it. When we were kids, you know, it was slow. But it happened, right? Christmas always got there. No matter how slow and how long you have to wait, Christmas happened. And we, we also did something else as kids. And maybe we found this to be a common experience for a lot of us as kids. And this is confession time. All right? Won't leave the room. <laughs> but how many of you as kids, you search the house looking for the present that your parents bought you? Come on. Raise your hand. All those. All right. There you go. How many of you, here we go, how many of you found the present at some point? There you go. All right. All right, confession. Here's the third question for the rebels. How many of you, when you found it, you actually got the toy out and played with it? <laughs> all right, there we go. There you go. All right. You're like, I did it. Oh, man. Here's the final question for you rebels. All right, ready? Here's the final question. How many of you got it out, you played with the toys, you played with it, and you broke it? <laughs> All right, there you go. He's like, no, that didn't happen with me, you know. I mean, what do you do in a situation like that? I mean, you break the toy that you're not supposed to find. I mean, do you put it back in the box and, and pretend that, you know, you never did anything? Or do you go, hey, mom, <laughs> the toy's broken. I mean, what do you do, right? You, you, yeah. Well, here's where I'm going with this. The dynamic, of, the dynamic of the waiting, and the waiting, and the waiting, it's actually the dynamic that sets up that very, very first Christmas. You see, for many, many generations, there had always been a handful of remnants, a group of people, Jewish people, that waited every day, not for the arrival of Santa Claus, but they waited every day for the arrival of a Messiah. 
And in every single generation, there was a group of people and they lived their lives every day in obedience to God and command, knowing that this could be the, the day that the Messiah arrives. And unlike the certainty of our Christmas, this went on for generation after generation after generation and nothing happened. 99.999% of these people who waited and waited and waited for the coming of the Messiah, they died. They never saw it. There was no fulfillment of the promise that, of that promise that Jesus was coming. The Messiah came and they prayed and waited and they remained faithful. And while many of the Jewish people kind of peeled away from the faith, they abandoned their faith, maybe many of them thought, man, this is just a fairy tale, it's just a story, it's just a myth. Many, many of them probably got to a place where they thought, no, who in the world would devote their entire lives to a story that's a couple thousand years old, to a promise that's a couple thousand years old. However, there was always a group that got up. They just keep getting up every day and, and they lived as if this could be the day that the Messiah showed up. Now today as we start this new series, I want to introduce you to two of these people that just waited. They lived it faithfully to God and waited and waited and waited. I want to introduce two of these people in the book of Luke, chapter one. And here's why this is so important to us. It's why it's so relevant to us. Because at some point in your Christian experience, if you haven't, maybe you've already had it, maybe you've had this already, maybe you haven't, but at some point, if you hadn't, you will. In fact, you may have it more time than you think it will. It'll happen more often than you think. But at some point in our Christianity, and at some point in our Christian experience, there could be time where God seems so quiet. There could be time where God seems so inactive and he seems so silent that there will be times when we just look around and we just say, no, why am I doing this? No, why, why do I keep attending? Now, why do I keep serving? Why am I giving? Why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why am I not moving on from this? Why in the world am I continuing day after day after day to live my life as if there's something bigger than me? Why is there something to the Bible? What, what, is there something to all this stuff? Why? Am I just following along because my parents believed it? Am I following along because it's more of a superstition than believing? And at some point in all of our lives, let's be honest, maybe there's a season, maybe there's years, but there's a period of doubt in your life. And the Christmas story, if that's how you're feeling, or you felt that, the Christmas story is for you. It's for you. In fact, the Christmas story around the two characters that we're going to look at today, in some ways, it's your story, my story. And here's how the story begins in Luke chapter 1 and, and verse number 5. The Bible says, in the time of Herod, and this would be Herod that killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem, okay? 
in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So this means that Zechariah and Elizabeth they were both from the priestly line of Israel, which means that they were priestly kids. And their parents were priestly kids, and their grandparents were priestly kids. The whole family line, it's a, it's a family of, of priests and religious leaders. And anyway, this is kind of where we pick up the tension in the story. If you look at verse number six. Here's the tension. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Pause here for a minute. When God looked at these two people, when God saw Zechariah and Elizabeth, he went, man, they're doing it right. They're living it right. Just look at the way they live. They're doing it right. And so they, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a complex book, a complex set of books of laws, a lot of complex laws, and, and, and it can make your head hurt just trying to keep it all up. But these two guys, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were doing it right. They kept the laws, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, blamelessly. And if you sent a private investigator to follow these two people around, they will come back and say, I've got nothing. I mean, these people really do live a blameless life. And here's what's amazing. They were doing what they were doing as priests and as followers of God based on a promise that was told 2,000 years previous them. 2,000 year old promise. In fact, at this time period, there's been a 700 years period where God has not shown up at all in the lives and the nation of Israel. And yet, these two get up day after day after day and they live their lives as if Christmas was coming. They live their lives as if the Messiah was coming. They live their lives as if God was actually going to fulfill that 2,000 year old promise. And again, at this, in the, in the, at this point in their life, there's no evidence that God can do any of that. He's silent, he's quiet, and yet they're blameless. And they're living righteously. And so I, I think for us, I love, I like for us to look into the lives of these two people and say, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, you're blameless, all this blamelessness and all this righteousness, you're just good people. How is that working out for you? How is it working out for you? Well, look at the next verse. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Uh, let, let me get this straight. So you get up every day, day after day after day. You're living faithfully. You're blameless. You're, you're waiting for the Messiah. You're serving in the temple. You're being good people. You're, you're missing out on other opportunities that you could be doing. And you're so faithful to God. And at the same time, God leaves you without a child, without an heir. I mean, there's no child. There's nobody. And, and, and in this culture, in this culture, it's always the woman's fault. That was the way they thought back then. In this culture, and I, and I don't mean it to be offensive, but in this culture, that's about all a woman would consider good for. 
having a child. That was the way they were thinking. The women had no political standing. They had no job. Most of them didn't work. Most of them were uneducated. And not only that, there was this religious stigma that if you had a child, God's favor was on you. But if you didn't have a child, you were cursed for whatever unknown reason. And so you got Elizabeth, this righteous woman, lived blameless before God throughout her young years, her middle years, her later years, and it just wasn't going to happen for her. In fact, look how this statement ends in Luke, in verse number seven. They were both very old. In other words, it was over. It was too late. God had done nothing for them lately, so Elizabeth lived with the shame, the pain, all this in her entire life. Now here's what's crazy. Their faithfulness to God was based on that promise 2,000 years ago. Now you said, God, you keep talking about the promise. What is the promise? Where would this happen? Well, 2,000 years before Zechariah and Elizabeth, God came to Abraham and made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. That's promise number one. And in fact, that happened. Nation, the, the nation of Israel became a powerful nation at one point in the history before Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then, he, and then God told Abraham, he said, not only am I going to make your na- na- Israel a great nation, but I'm also going to make your name great. And again, before you got here, before you heard the story of Abraham, I would think that most of us in this room, you know who Abraham is. You've heard of Abraham. And so, and, but this is where it starts to break down. Here's where it starts to break down. He said to Abraham, God said, you'll also be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then he said, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. All the people will be blessed through you, through Abraham. And so here's this root idea. And that's why the Jewish people believed that there was something more for Israel. Because if you know the story, after God gave Abraham this promise, he finally had a son, and he had a son, and he had many, many sons, and they moved to Egypt, right? And they became a nation in Egypt. And then they moved back to Israel, to the promised land. And then the kingdom of, you know, of Israel began to blossom. Before you know it, you're rolling into the golden age of King David and King Solomon. And if there was ever a time that God could really leverage the promise and say, hey, I'm going to bless all the people of the earth, man, that would have been the time to do it because that was happening. I mean, everything was going. They were the most powerful country in the world. Through the, through the time of King David and King Solomon, but it didn't happen. And after King Solomon, the nation of Israel went south. Everything began to fall apart. The nation split. There were wars. They constantly had good kings, but more bad kings. And then, and then between the time of Solomon to Zechariah and Elizabeth, that 700 year time period, 700 years, the, the, the nation of Israel changed hands 25 different times. The Persian took over, the Syrian took over, Babylonian, the Greek, all these different people kind of took over. And it was like, after a while, the Israelite, that nation of Israel became a, bunch of, a nobody country. 
They had no clout in international events, in international affairs. They didn't even have an army half the time. In fact, WU's of that, during that time, WU's, most of them were exiled in a foreign land. The nation of Israel became less and less and less of a factor in the world. And this idea that somehow the whole entire world can be blessed through the nation of Israel no longer had any leverage, no longer had any wealth. They had no, they, they had no say anymore. They didn't even know what they were going to be like in the next hundred years. They didn't even know if they were going to exist. This idea that somehow God was going to bless the world through the nation of Israel just seems kind of impossible, crazy. And the priest, Zechariah, kept waking up every day, being faithful, waiting on God. And to add insult to injury, in 65 BC, Zechariah would have been a little child, a young boy, Elizabeth would have been a young girl. In 65 BC, Pompey the Great, the great general, Roman general, marched into Jerusalem, occupied the cities, moved past the temple guards, walked right into the temple, walked right past the priests, and Pompey the Great walked right into the Holy of Holies. Now the Holy of Holies, this is where the Jewish people believe that this is where God dwells. I mean the Holy of Holies, this is the place where the high priest, and only the high priest once a year go in and, and, and do a, a sacrifice and serve before God once a year. This is the place that the Jewish people believe that if you went into the Holy of Holies uninvited, God would strike you dead. And the priests, they were shocked when Pompey the Great walked into the Holy of Holies, look around, and walk out. And the message of the, the message spread all through Jerusalem, all through the land, and the implications were clear that Jupiter, the God of the Romans, must be more powerful than Yahweh, the God of Israel. And I can imagine that Zechariah, as a young boy, he would see his dad coming home from his priestly duties. And when he gets home on that day, that the temple had been desecrated, that he would have torn his robe and cried and mourned because God didn't show up. That he allowed someone to walk in the Holy of Holies and nothing happened. And yet this little boy with that in his background, he still went into the priesthood served God his whole life, married Elizabeth who served God her whole life. They probably at some time wondered why God doesn't, didn't act on their behalf and why God didn't, God didn't act on the behalf of the nation of Israel. They probably wrestled with the promise of Abraham and how in the world that can this little itty bitty, tiny, conquered nation ever impact the world? I mean, they're just, I mean, we're just hanging on by the, th on, by the thread, I mean, we're barely able to exist 
And if you had come to them at that time, you might have been like, hey, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're here to do a little intervention. It's not too late to quit. It's not too late to just get out. I mean, yes, that promise to Abraham, yeah, part one, yeah, you know, the nation was great. That, that happened. And, and yes, Abraham had a great name. But the third part, there's no way in the world at this time period we're ever going to have an impact. We're barely going to be around in the next hundred years. We're not going to even exist. Why don't you guys take the rest of your years and give it up and, and live out in retirement doing your own thing? Because if there was a God, if there ever was a God, he abandoned you. And if we had whispered that into the ear during the old difficult years, during those years of silence, we would have been wrong. You and I would have been wrong because the reason Luke begins his story with this story because this was the beginning of something brand new that would ultimately fulfill that final promise that God made to Abraham. And the reason this story is so important to you and to me is that, as I said earlier, there are moments, there are periods, there are seasons of our lives and our relationship when we wonder, is God active? Is God listening? Does God care? And on Christmas, the answer is a resounding yes. Let's look at the rest of the story. Look at verse 8. When Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So Zechariah is inside the inner, the inner court, all right? and everyone's in the outer court, and he's only he by himself in the inner court of the temple. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So, you know, here's Zechariah doing his own thing, minding his own business, just another day in the life of a priest, and just trying to be faithful, trying to be blameless, and suddenly an angel of the Lord shows up. And verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. He said, your prayer has been heard. I mean, isn't that awesome? He got a, he got a confirmation email. <laughs> he actually got a text message back. You ever touch someone and you're just like, man, you know, a simple thumbs up would have been great. <laughs> you send a mass email and say, you know, it's it work-related and say, okay, you know, I, I just want to know that you got this email. And, and I, don't, I don't know that I, you know, I don't know that I want to get a confirmation of my prayer being heard by a sight of a terrifying angel, maybe a cousin of an angel, I don't know, but you know. But here's Zechariah, he gets a confirmation from, a, from an angel, and he said, hey, we've been hearing your prayers. We've been listening. He said, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're going to call him John, which we know as John the Baptist. Verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you, Many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Look at verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. I mean, why would John the Baptist have to bring them back to the Lord their God? Because many in Israel 
they have abandoned God. They have abandoned the Lord their God. They had good reason to do so. God has been around for 700 years, so it, so it seems. They all thought it was a fairy tale, a myth. You know, they were interesting story to tell, but in their mind, the God of Israel have abandoned them already. John the Baptist is going to bring them all back to the Lord their God in verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and, to the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then look at this, verse 18. And Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? All right, and, and listen, he gets very diplomatic here, man. Very diplomatic. Look, look, look what he says. I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in her years. <laughs> Smart man. He's good. He's good. Here's what he's saying to the angel. He said, okay, angel, I'm with you. I'm glad you've heard our prayers, but I'm thinking you're a little late. You know, we prayed. Oh, when we were in our 20s, we prayed for that baby. And in our 30s, we prayed for that baby to come through. And in our 40s, you know, we prayed. We almost quit praying in our 50s, but we're old now. We're old. My wife, she's old. It, it's over. And the angel said in verse 19, he said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true. And this is my favorite part right here. Which will, which will come true at their appointed time. Listen, you mean that God, he's had this mark on his calendar the whole time? You mean... You mean throughout all these 700 years and since the glory days of King David and Solomon that God had waited this long on purpose? You mean God has watched his people abandon him in droves because it looked like there was no way in the world that the nation of Israel would ever bless the world? They had no platform. They had no, they had, they were just another group of people that were conquered every time a new conqueror shows up on the scene. And God's been planning this the whole time. There was an appointed time. You mean God had not quit paying attention? Yeah. You mean even though God has been so quiet, he has not been inactive, he hasn't been disinterested, he hasn't lost interest? The appointed time. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people that are waiting for Zechariah, they're wondering what's going on in there. He's been in there for a while. Verse 22, he came out. And he couldn't talk, right? They realized he's seen a vision in the temple. We kept making signs to, you know, sign language to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was over, completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, remained in seclusion. And verse 25, and this is what she said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. You see, this story, all this right here, this story was the pre-concert before the concert. This was just the warm-up act to the main show. I mean, this was the setup. This was the setup for the main plot. And it's all right here. 
because the day finally was going to come when God would put into action what he had planned to do since he made that promise to Abraham that every nation on the earth would be blessed because a Savior is born. Let's see how it unfolds here, verse 26 and 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That virgin's name was Mary. And we all know the rest of the story. And so, I want to bring it home here. Let's wrap this up here. This is our story, right? This is our story. This is my story. This is your story. Zechariah and Elizabeth's dilemma is also your dilemma. You know, do we stay or do we go? Do we believe or do we stop believing? Do we serve or do we do something else? Do we give or do we just spend it the way we think we should spend it? Do we stay in that difficult marriage or do we walk out like everybody else does? Do we do the shady deal or, or do we continue to maintain our integrity even when no one's looking? Do we remain faithful because we believe God is faithful? Or do we just throw up our hands and say, you know, I'm done with this and go your own way? And every generation, there is a remnant of Christians that have to make a decision whether they will remain faithful in spite of the fact that they see God do seemingly nothing for them in the meantime. And the good news is this, if that is your situation, if that is true this morning, and you're in that moment, here's the good news. There's nothing wrong with you. If that's your situation, welcome to the common experience of those who place their faith in Christ and have decided to follow him in spite of what they see around them. Welcome to the world of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a couple that decided we're going to walk blamelessly before our God. We're going to live righteously. We're going to walk in the path of God in spite of what people say, in spite of people what they think, in spite of what we see, in spite of the fact that we can't even imagine how God can give us a child, and in fact, in spite of how God would even bless the people of the world through our little itty-bitty dusty country in the middle of nowhere, how our country could bless the nation of the world. And, that, and that's the dilemma that all of us will face or maybe you're currently facing in your walk with God. And the good news is that's normal. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Will you be part of the remnants? Will you be part of the remnant? Will you be faithful even when it doesn't make sense? That's the challenge. Will, will you keep waiting on God even when he seems silent? In 1847, Adolf Adam wrote the lyric to what would eventually become the song that we love to sing around here, O Holy Night. And he captured the tension we live when he wrote, long lay the world. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, long lay the world in sin and error, and here's the word we don't use anymore, pining, pining. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. What does pining mean? If you're taking notes, 
if you'd like to take note, pining means longing, praying, waiting. Waiting. The world is broken with sin and it's waiting for the one who would fix it all. And he did. You see, the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. If you're taking note, the story of Christmas is a reminder that even when God seems silent, he's not absent. He's not absent. The story of Christmas is a reminder that the proper response to the frustration of God's timing and unanswered prayer is faithfulness. Trusting in God, even when it doesn't make sense and you stay faithful. You might have lost a family member this past year. Maybe this Christmas season there'll be an empty chair at your table. Or you lost a close friend. Or maybe you've got the bad news recently about your health. Or perhaps a spouse walk out on your marriage. Maybe you've been trying and trying and trying to conceive a child, to have a child, and you just can't. You're frustrated because everybody else around you is having new babies. And you can't even have one. Maybe you're single and you're like, man, I just, I, I just want a relationship. I just want to find my man. I want to find my woman. You know, I want to get married. And everybody else happens and it's not happening for me. Maybe you've been hoping to get that job and you didn't get it. We can get frustrated, but Christmas is a reminder for us to be faithful, even when we don't understand. And here's the third thought. The story of Christmas is a reminder that neither your faithfulness nor your hope, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. It's a reminder that God can do anything he chooses to do and that God is active in our world and he will keep his promises at the appointed, at the appointed time. And so you wait. You do what Zechariah and Elizabeth do. Be blameless. Live righteously. Being faithful. Even when it doesn't make sense. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, but not forever. A savior is born.